Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to the 8311 cast, your premier Midwestern based sports podcast, where we bring you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Today, on episode 41, a very prime episode, because 41's a prime number. I love your host, Kyle, Your host, Kyle Mersch, Mike Ludwig, and myself, Wyatt Heater, are going to be talking to you about the NFL, Formula One, Major League Baseball, and of course, our signature segments, your weekly turtle tab, Mike's Stupid Rules, and Write That Down Predictions. Yeah. I probably should just save the, the prime number thing until after the intro. Yeah, because now yeah. you got me, you got me excited. I like yeah. prime numbers. We're I know computer, you. Do. We're computer people. Computer people like prime numbers. What's uh What's forty one's prime twin? What is a prime twin? I don't know. The, the twin, the twin of a prime. That's a thing, what? isn't it? I don't He's know. Literally, just said the same thing and just flipped the wording. <laughs> yeah, but it means the same thing. Twin primes. <laughs> okay. Twin okay. primes are 45. primes which differ by two. Yes. Yeah, so so 43. is 43 a prime? Yeah, 43 is a prime, right? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I'm basically a walking RSA encryption algorithm. I can just give you any prime number. Uh, that would be fun. Can I use you at work? I really need some good encryption algorithms. Gotta so. pay me lots of good dollars and then uh, I might. How about 15000 a year? <laughs> okay. Alright, sounds good. I'm not that's, paying. Off, so. Yeah, that's that's not a lot of pay. Do you know who does get a lot of pay though? NFL uh, players. They get paid a lot and, of money. The superstars do want more least. pay. Do they I want mean, more pay, Kyle? Yeah, some of them do. Oh, do they? That's why they're holding out from training camp. Yeah, that, that was, that's, that that's that true. There are there are there are three NFL or three big name at least NFL players holding out from training camp. Two running backs. You got. Uh, Melvin Gordon out in L.A. slash San Diego because I'm still going to call them San Diego, so we're just going to get on the record saying that right now. Um, Ezekiel Elliott down in Dallas and Michael Thomas in the Big Easy are all holding out of training camp as of right now that have just gotten started. Training camps for all teams here got started within the last week or so, and those three players are holding out. Um Kyle, which of those players is the biggest loss for the team if they're not there, and which one is most likely not to play for most likely to miss actual games this year? I think Michael Thomas is probably the biggest loss. If you look at the Saints offense, they rely on explosiveness and big plays, especially in the past two seed two, three seasons by Michael Thomas. He's he has vaulted himself to one of the premier receivers in the game. Now, um, he's not the the best of the best. Um, I wouldn't put him in the likes of like Antonio Brown or um, Odell Beckham or even A.J. Green. Um, and some of those guys, and Julio Jones, of course. But for right now, he's one of the... I would say one of the easily the top 10 uh, receiver, one of the top 10 receivers in the league right now, which is a huge loss because the Saints are a very pass heavy team. Now, recently, they've gotten really good in their backfield with the additions of Alvin Kamara. And, um, well, I guess they you can't factor in Mark Ingram anymore because he's gone. So their backfield is now Alvin Kamara and whoever else they have back there. Um, I don't really know because I'm not a big Saints fan, but. I think Michael Thomas personally is the biggest loss to the team. Um, the Cowboys have been sufficient when they haven't had Zeke on the field. 
in recent years. Um, and Melvin Gordon, as the uh, he's been injury prone, and every time he goes down with an injury, the backfield is sufficient with Austin Eckler and now Justin Jackson back there in the Chargers backfield. Uh, they they might they might be okay without him. I think the the player who does hold out though um, and is likely to miss the most games is Zeke. He's two years out from a from contract nego- from the end of his rookie deal. Two years out. It's okay for a player to do it one year out, like Melvin Gordon is doing, but Zeke is two years out. He has a horrible off the field record right now. He's unreliable, inconsistent off the field. He's good on the field, but there's been times where he's been absent from some games as well. So I think that the Cowboys and Zeke are going to be a very long way off in their contract negotiations. And I don't think, I think he'll miss probably one, maybe two games to start the season um, before that holdout ends, I would say. Um, I do believe that Melvin Gordon will either get a contract or he'll be traded. Um, I think the Chargers, if Melvin Gordon is too far away in a number, they will they will be likely to trade him and try and get um, pieces in return because they have a backfield that's proven to work in Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, who were able to easily carry the load between the two of them while Melvin Gordon missed time last year with a knee injury. Melvin Gordon is reportedly looking for a David Johnson type deal, which is three, which is roughly three years. What was it? $35 million. Um, as, and the chargers are looking for a Devonte Freeman style deal, which is five years, $41.5 million. Um, so a discrepancy of like $2 million, a little over $2 million a year, um, an annual, uh, an annual value in contract. So, they're still a long ways off because two and a half million is a pretty significant difference, especially for a back in Melvin Gordon who is proven to be injury prone. I don't know. What's your take on that, Mike? Yeah, I agree with you that uh, Michael Thomas is going to be the biggest loss. I mean, you pretty much said everything I was going to say about the uh, the Saints offense. But I mean, just looking at Michael Thomas's contract, right? he's only set to make like one and a quarter million, less than $1.25 million this year is what Michael Thomas is supposed to make. Vastly, vastly underpaid for um, for someone of his caliber, a wide receiver. So I think he's definitely the biggest loss, but I think the Saints will pay him. I think that'll get done. Um, I disagree with you that I think Zeke is, uh, is going to miss time, though, but not because the Cowboys are going to give him an extension. I think that... Uh, the Cowboys, I think he's just going to break and he's going to show up at camp without an extension is I think what's going to happen with, with Elliot. He's going to realize he's two years out, like he was saying. He's going to realize he's not going to use his leverage now. He'll use his leverage next year, holding out again next year to try to go get a new deal. And I think he'll just show up to camp and play this year. And then Melvin Gordon, I think, is the one who's most likely to miss time because, like you said, I think the Chargers think he's replaceable and I think he thinks he's not. So I think that's why he's uh, most likely to hold out. So Michael Thomas, most important. Melvin Gordon, most likely to actually miss games would be what I would say. Here's a surprising take that I saw in reports. Um, I don't don't know what your opinion is on this, that 
the Cowboys should field trade offers for Zeke and cut ties with him. What are what are your thoughts on that? What am I going to get for him? I mean, yeah, that's that's the biggest question. If you can get what you want a haul in return for Zeke, then then you don't have to go through contract negotiations with him, and then maybe you get a guy who doesn't have the same off the field issues that Zeke does because he's had and, he's had quite a few of them, and isn't somebody that the NFL apparently obviously hates yeah. and will suspend when. Like Tyree Kill gets off. How the heck does Tyree Kill get off without a suspension? Can you tell me that? How could Holton Hill get eight games for smoking some green plant and Tyree Kill gets off with nothing? I don't know, but apparently all I can tell you from everything that's been put out by the Chiefs and by the NFL is there is sufficient evidence that he had no involvement in the actions. And that it, it was all his girlfriends was, made up falsified stories. He was on video. He was he was caught on on audio. On audio. Yes. That's I think that's where one of the biggest things, um, biggest downfalls was in the actual prosecution of it is it was audio and not video. There was no video to go with it. I I don't say I agree with it, but. I, I think the NFL suspension process has been a joke yes, um, for, a, for a long, long time. Yes, I think in certain, in certain cases with repeat offenders, a.k.a. Josh Gordon, punishment... Tyree Kill, he's or right, Tyree he Kill, I guess, in college. In, yeah, but the issue was in college. This was, but, his, first, but, this but, was but, his first NFL offense. But the NFL policy stipulates that things that happen in college factor into their decisions in in NFL suspensions. It's part of I, NFL I mean, policy. I I know it's in the policy, but I don't think that's true. So and what they've shown is it's not true. In multiple cases, not just in the Tyree Kill case. Yeah. There's been multiple multiple instances of people who have had domestic violence issues in college and they've also had them in the NFL but have received far less punishment than they should under NFL policy. I, I just don't get it. I think um, there's a lot of uh, loopholes in it and a lot of um, room for judgment error. And I feel like as if there's a lot of error to be made all the time. I, I believe that Tyree Kill should have gotten at least four, if not six. Yeah. Um, and I'm a Chiefs fan. So that I yeah, it is what it is. We can't really go back on anything now, but. NFL came out with their with their stipulation, but in in other another big um, trainee or a potential contract uh, holdout uh, was Chris Jones, the interior defensive lineman who had a breakout season with 14 and a half sacks last year for the Chiefs um, on the interior line, which was second to Aaron Donald. Um, he was reportedly going to hold out for a contract um, extension. Uh, he wanted to be paid for his recent outbreak and what he has done for the past two years. But he did, in fact, show up to training camp. And now it is reported that the Chiefs are a lot closer to a deal than they were before. So apparently showing up to training camp might have gotten him closer to a long-term contract extension with the Chiefs. But the Chiefs are in um, tricky uh, 
a tricky situation as it is being reported that next year they are going to be working out a deal to make Patrick Mahomes the highest played, paid player in NFL history. So, yeah, they got They got to have they got to have some cap room in order to uh, pay pay their franchise yeah. quarterback. So. That's okay. After next season, everyone's going to go. The players are going to go on strike anyway, and then everything's going to be a big mess. So, yep. We'll cross that. We'll cross those bridges when we come to it. Let's just deal with this year's holdouts first. But we'll see how those situations resolve over the next couple of months. As we're only probably a little over a month away from the first regular season football games. Probably about five, six weeks. But there's already been some big injuries. Yep. AJ, AJ Green AJ is Green. carted off the field. Um, the New Almost York Giants six to eight weeks. Yep, the New York Giants lost Corey Coleman to the entire season, um, mm-hmm. who is slated to be their number, either their slot receiver or number two receiver. Um, Golden Tate was suspended for four games, so the Giants are going to be depleted, mm-hmm. um, even more so for the first four games. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, some some tricky tricky situations for some teams. Keep an eye on the NFL; it's coming, it's coming. But do you know what's in full swing, Wyatt? Uh, is that I mean, one of my favorite sports of all time? I mean, uh, that would have been a better uh, transition for transition baseball. for baseball. Yeah, you're right. But you know, Actually. I just used up I just used up my transition as see. There's a reason I don't do the transitions around here. We should really just plan out these transitions, then they'd be smoother. I was gonna say the same thing because the transition from the intro to the NFL was awful. Yeah, no, it was, <laughs> was so right? bad. Like it was <laughs> a good idea, and it had. just. It just didn't pan out, though. It was a really good idea. If ever, hey, if if our listeners out there think that that was our best transition ever, please please be sure to um, contact us on uh, either DM us on Instagram or Twitter and make sure you let us know that that was our best transition ever, or give us transition ideas. Yeah, that too. We are open to any and all types of improvement and comment criticism things. Unless Please. it comes from Mike, and then we are not open to it at all. Oh, it doesn't count. Well, La Tortuga. La Tortuga. So we're going to talk about the Formula 1 just real quick. Is that cool? Like, that's yeah, what we were going just, towards. Yeah. Ice cold? I was making sure. Making sure it was cool with you guys. That's, that's what we were Ice about cold. to do before, you know, I talked about how bad we are at transitions. So, so if you were just kind of watching Formula 1, Silverstone happened. The British Grand Prix happened a couple of weeks ago. And it was awesome. It was like, oh, Formula 1's boring? Hold my beer. It was a really good race, Silverstone was. But then the German Grand Prix happened, and it was like, hold my schnitzel. <laughs> that's, my, that's my German accent. Because it was one hell of a race. It was an awesome race in uh, Hockenheim, Germany, is where this race happens, in the Hockenheim Ring. So the, there's, there's two huge things that happened in this race. Number one is that Mercedes did not have a podium finish at all. Number two... Williams actually has a point in the Constructors' Championship now. Two monumentous things just happened in the race. And it was also a really interesting race also. A lot of these races the past probably two and a half years now have been really boring for some reasons we'll get into soon. But let's talk about the the German Grand Prix real quick. So basically, qualifying was your top ten. Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Valtteri Bottas, Pierre Gasly, Kimi Raikkonen, Romain Grosjean, Carlos Sainz, Sergio Perez, Nico Hülkenberg, and Charles Leclerc. You'll be like, oh, I only heard like one or two names that I might recognize there. And that's fine. The biggest one is Charles Leclerc in P10. He qualified in 10th place. And that's because he missed Q3 due to a fuel issue that Ferrari was having. So he didn't even get to, to set 
uh, a time in Q3. So he ended up at number 10. Sebastian Vettel is the other Ferrari driver you might be kind of looking for there. He's not even in the top 10. He started in very last place because his turbo blew up in Q1. You so don't he was, no, you don't need that at all, apparently. Just kidding, you do. So he was penalized uh, for not making qualifying and also switching out a power unit. So he started all the way down in 20th, very last place on the grid when they started. Um, so that it's really bad for, for Ferrari. Mercedes obviously was looking pretty good. They had a P1 and a P3 there. Uh, going in for the starting grid. Max Verstappen in second place is really no surprise, and uh, Pierre Gasly as well. Red Bull Racing's been doing really well uh, recently. So, the race happened, and seven retirements happened during this race, mostly due to people spinning out because it was a wet one. It was a very wet race. Uh, some notable people who weren't able to complete the race, Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, Danny Ricardo, Sergio Perez, um... They all kind of spun out and broke their cars running into walls, basically. That was really the only reason why the safety car came out or why people retired was due to slick conditions. Um, what was kind of fun about the race, though, is that we did actually get to see the wets and intermediates. So um, for any any given race, there's five sets of tires teams are allowed to use. There's a soft compound, a medium compound, and a hard compound. And all these tires are slicks. So they don't have any tread on them, and that allows the car to get maximum grip on the pavement surface. And they're also allowed what's called an intermediate tires, which is they're, they're like slicks, but they have grooves um, going the full circumference of the tire itself to allow water to escape. And then you have um, wets, wet tires, which are kind of like more more like normal road tires where they, they really help dissipate the water underneath the tire. So we got to see all three of these tires, slicks, wets, and intermediates throughout the race by different teams. Uh, some teams put slicks on way too soon when the track was still too wet and that caused some retirements. Um, it takes a long time for slicks to warm up when they're on the track, so there's a few issues there, but it keeps it interesting. Because at the very end of the race, who crossed the line? Well, that was Max Verstappen in first, Sebastian Vettel in second, and Daniel Kvyat in third place for the podium finish. Uh, following behind them in fourth, we had Lance Stroll, Carlos Sainz, Alex Albon, Romain Grosjean, Kevin Magnussen, Lewis Hamilton in ninth, and Robert Kubica in tenth, which was the Williams driver. Robert Kubica. George Russell. That's not original. The cars crossed the line. Um, Alfa Romeo had both their drivers penalized thirty seconds each due to some. Uh, I don't. I don't really understand what happened here. But I, the torque. The the uh, oh boy, it was a weird penalty based on the, the torque conversion through the clutch. Like the clutch didn't activate against that i don't really know what happened why they penalized him for a driver aid which wasn't really there this was kind of a crap a total crap thing that the fia handed alfa romeo at the end of the race um but the only good thing that came out of it was that williams got points so go them alfa romeo plans to appeal this decision i still don't really understand why they were penalized to be quite honest so i'm not really sure what happened there um essentially Kimi Raikkonen came in 7th place and Antonio Giovinazzi in 8th, but since they were penalized with a 10-second drive-through penalty, um, what that means is that the car has to enter the pit lane, stop for 10 seconds, and then leave, which is about a total of a 30-second penalty. This was issued post-race, so they were issued 30 seconds total at the end because they couldn't actually go into the pit lane. That pushed them into uh, 12th and 13th place, respectively. So at the very bottom of the grid, in front of the 7 others that retired. So it was a really interesting race, and it's kind of sad that you have to wait for weather to make a Formula 1 race really interesting. 
Because like every other race this year, it's been Mercedes 1-2 with either Red Bull or Ferrari in P3. Midfield's been pretty interesting with McLaren, I suppose. But that's really about it. I'm really looking forward to the 2020-2021 the revisions to the rules and regulations for Formula 1. Hopefully they make it more interesting. Right now it's kind of boring because not a lot happens. You know exactly who's going to win. Probably going to be Mercedes. Maybe Red Bull if you get lucky because Ferrari doesn't know how to do strategy. The midfield's pretty interesting, I, I guess. You have Alfa Romeo out there with Kimi Raikkonen, basically. Antonio Giovinazzi's not doing so hot. Williams is at the back of the pack always, no matter what. And McLaren's kind of fighting a little bit there. And then you have the other two or three teams sprinkled throughout. It's nothing interesting. And it's just kind of sad that we have to wait for rain to come in to make a race interesting. But that's what I got in Formula One. Check out the Hungarian Grand Prix in Budapest this coming Sunday, August 4th, 8, 10 a.m., ESPN2 Central Time. So check that out. Hopefully it's an interesting race that's dry, but I'm not. I don't have my hopes up. Nice. Very nice. Um, Kyle, it's time for your favorite segment of the entire podcast. Are you ready for this? It's your Am weekly... I ready? Are you ready? Yes. That's that's That was the question that it was just asked of you. Are you ready? Uh, I'd, I'd prefer not to be ready, but... I well, I mean, it's, it's going to happen whether or not you're ready, and this is our weekly turtle tab, and it's a very exciting turtle tab this week. Just kidding. There's no more news. He's still out indefinitely. Um, that probably makes Kyle very happy because when the Twins play the Royals this weekend, that means uh, Astudio will not play, which is disappointing for you know normal people, but probably a good thing for the Royals because... He kills the Royals. Willens Astadio is a Royal killer. Turtles eat Royals. All you need to know. That's the end of our turtle tab. Go talk about a bad baseball team like you do every week, Kyle. Hey, Mike. Okay. Yo, Actually, before, before we leave weekly turtle tab, you should do some investigative journalism into what he does in his daily life while he's not playing baseball. Okay. I will do you that. You should do that. Get back to us next week. On like, next, next week. Like, um, how often does he eat out? Does he go to Taco Bell? If he does, does he get a Crunchwrap Supreme? Because if he does, that's cool. If he doesn't, I mean, that's does, fine, too. Does he get nut balls from Taco Bell? Those are Nut balls good. are really good from Taco Bell. Yeah, right. I, I would agree with that. Anyway. anyway but if you digress. don't get it, but if you don't actually get an interview with him, don't come back to next week's episode. <laughs> I didn't say that. Kyle <laughs> said that, not me. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll shoot him a tweet and see. see what. So whoever has control of our Twitter account will have to shoot him a tweet because I don't have control of our Twitter account because I don't you can tweet. Have control over it. You All can right. figure out how to tweet. You can learn how to tweet using our official All account. Right. I'll tweet Willens Astadio <laughs> with our Twitter account. While you're there, also hit up Drew Brees because we need to get him on the show here soon as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah sounds do. good. Sounds anyway, good. Royals. They've, they've um, had lots of movement this uh, recently. Uh, you trade have to, to play baseball. Deadline approaches. Um, they've released a lot of players, uh, and one of them is Lucas Duda, who I have been calling for the Royals to release all year long. I sound like a broken record on this podcast, but he is finally gone, and it is about time. He he's good riddance. Good riddance to Lucas Duda. Absolute garbage for the Royals, just wasting a spot on the bench uh, when we had other players to. Uh, they could be getting playing time instead of him. Um, but yeah, the Royals are getting a glimpse of the next young core movement uh, for the years to come um, with a lot of call-ups call with Josh Stromount and um, 
Love Lady. So a lot of young bullpen arms that are getting called up, as well as our darling Bubba Starling. I'm going to give another update about Bubba, <laughs> Bubba, 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 Bubba Starling. Wow. That's hard to say five times in a row fast. Um, so Bubba Starling is just been impressive. So he he reached base in 12 straight games uh, since his MLB debut, which tied a Royals um, club record. Uh, he fell short of that when he struck out uh, three times in a game. And then in his last plate appearance, he hit a ball about two feet away from a home run. Um, so that's great. Uh it, it would have um, won the game for the Royals. Uh, he had an amazing nine-game hitting streak going on in which he was hitting the ball all over the yard using both fields. Um, there's not a lot you can do to uh, defend him when he can actually hit the ball. But probably the most impressive thing in his uh, short-lived MLB career so far is he had an absolutely incredible outfield assist um, from center field uh, on a center field throw to home. His stack cast velocity was 100.7 miles per hour, which so far is the hardest thrown outfield assist this season in the major leagues. Um, it was an absolute laser and gunned out the runner by about five or six feet. It really wasn't all that close. Um, so I spoke a little bit about some movement earlier. Uh, Jake Diekman was traded to the A's. This is the second deal that the Royals have made with the Oakland A's this year. Uh, the previous one was Homer Bailey. This time they get another young pitcher and a speedy outfielder in return. Um, both of them are re- going to be reporting to our AA affiliate in Northwest Arkansas. Um, so stay tuned to that. Um, overall, though, in the actual uh, realm of the MLB, they had a very mediocre week uh, this week. They came off of a very high... Uh, very good start after the all-star break. Um, and then they ended up going three and three, uh, this week they played 500 baseball. They swept the Braves down in Atlanta with two impressive victories, um, and showed a lot of resiliency and, uh, and part, a lot of great starting pitching. Um, in one of those games, Danny Duffy and Dallas Keuchel went head to head, both recording double digit strikeouts. I believe Keuchel had 12 and Danny Duffy had 11. Um, so they both pitched very well, but, the Royals ended up winning that game two to one. Um, but then they come home and proceed to lose three of four to the Cleveland Indians uh, in order to help the Indians get back into uh, the race in the AL Central. Didn't um, walk off. Didn't gain any ground. But despite the, the Royals', Royals best effort. The Royals had a really good effort on Sunday and forced Trevor Bauer to have an absolute meltdown. Uh, in the fifth <laughs> inning, not only did he melt down in, in control of his pitching, but his temper uh, really got the best of him. Um, so Trevor Bauer in, had the lead going into the fifth inning and gave it up in a five run fifth inning that the Royals had. Um, and on a uh, single with that uh, brought in two runs, the, his manager, Terry Francona, um, came strutting out of the dugout to go and remove him. Well, Trevor Bauer had other plans. Um, he really didn't want to be removed from the game, and he was very visibly upset with himself. Um, and he, I, I guess it wasn't hurled more as he chucked the baseball from in between uh, the pitcher's mound and second base over the center field wall 
in that Parliament wasn't a Stadium. Chuck. That was a yeet. He yeeted it, that ball, it, man. It was he a it was that. a full send. So full send, the, man. The dead center, uh, the dead center field fence uh, for in Kauffman Stadium is 410 feet from home plate. Uh, but he threw it over the little batter's eye wall um, in Kauffman Stadium, which is an estimated 425 feet. So that they did a uh, stat cast on his throw, um, and he approximately threw it around 88 miles an hour <laughs> exit velocity, and they estimated around 320 to 335 feet. So that's a geek. Yeah, he threw it a long ways, and um, his manager was very upset. Um, gave him a good a good um, verbal banter, uh, and he tried to apologize, but was scolded and sent to the bench where he sat solemnly by himself for a while thinking about his actions so is he gonna get traded i don't know i don't i don't know if the indians i don't know if he hurt his his um his market status now I, i i don't know he's obviously a top of the line starter when he's on but he has a history of temper tantrums he has a history of when he doesn't immaturity. get calls. Immaturity, yeah. He didn't get a call in the either the third or the fourth inning, which was a very borderline strike, but it was actually a ball. Um, and he just glared at the umpire, uh, the home plate umpire, until the ball was thrown back to him. And he made a lot of arm flailing movements and was very visibly upset at the home plate umpire and then proceeded to give up a hit. Um, and this is not the first instance that he has had tirades like this before. He's had um, previous meltdowns, especially against AL Central teams, apparently. Um, it's happened against the Royals before. But, yeah, he might have hurt his, um, his, the market, his market value. But I don't know if the Indians can actually part with him. Um, the Royals broadcasters were talking about that. Uh, they don't like Corey Kluber is going to come back for the Indians at some point, but since the Indians are playing such great baseball right now, they're not, they don't know what they're going to get from Kluber once he returns from the injured list. Will they get Carlos Carrasco back? Who knows? Um, they're not getting Danny Salazar back. Um, they have great young pitching in Shane Bieber and, um, Mike Clevenger, but outside of that, I think. I feel like they need to keep Trevor Bauer um, temper tantrums and all. So we'll see what happens. Personally, I hope the Indians keep him and still get buried in the division so they don't get any prospects for him and they still don't make the playoffs. That would be perfect from a, from a Twins fan's perspective. See, that's what the Twins have been doing is they've coaxed the Indians into not selling and now that they, the now that it's going to be too late for the Indians to sell, we're going to bury them. That's the plan. That's been the plan the whole along. It was a it was a play the whole time. So so it was calculated to let the twins or let the uh, Indians get within one game of the Twins. Yeah, yeah, completely so, planned. Right, so right, managed, right by the trade deadline. So upper level management has been just the front office of the Twins organization has been dealing with this for we we've the past been pulling some strings. Okay. Every. All the other front offices are playing chess, and Falvey and Levine are playing 3D chess and 3D Connect 4 at the same time. And Battleship? No, just 3D chess and 3D Connect 4 at the same time. Okay. 
Battleship would be too many moving pieces. I get it. Yeah, I, I agree. Only have two hands, so you can only play two games at once. But yeah, the Twins played the Yankees um, earlier this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And I don't know what else I can say about that series, but oh my goodness, that was a phenomenal series. It was crazy. That That is probably one of the best series that I have ever watched in my time watching baseball. Just to put it into perspective for how good the offense is, uh, in game two of that series, Kyle Gibson went uh, five innings and gave up five earned runs for the Twins. And that was the best start of any starting pitcher that entire series was five innings and five earned runs. Um, in game one, the Twins won um, a good game with a uh, with a jumped on the Yankees starter CC Sabathia early and held on to win the game eight to six. And then Tuesday's game was probably the second best. Uh, Second or third best baseball game I have ever watched. Uh, the f- so just put this in perspective: the Twins are up, the Twins are up big, and then in the eighth inning, Blake Parker comes in and he gives up a bunch of runs, and then uh, Tyler Duffy comes in and thinks he has a uh, Luke Voigt struck out for the third run of the inning, but um, with the uh, young home plate umpire having Aaron Boone's recent rant on his mind decides not to call an obvious strike, strike three to uh, end the inning and uh, ends up having to toss Rocco Baldelli um, because of it. And uh, Duffy goes on to walk the batter and then the next hitter doubles them both home and gives the Yankees a one-run lead after the eighth inning. Comes up bottom of the eighth. Rosario singles, and Sano hits a two-run homer. All of a sudden, the Twins are up by a run, going down to the top of the ninth, and the reliable Taylor Rodgers is in. He gets the first two guys out, gets up one and two on the uh, Yankees' number nine hitter before he loses him and walks him. And then Aaron Hicks hits a two-run home run for the Yankees. Now the Yankees are up by one. And bottom of the ninth, Chapman comes in for the Yankees, he can't throw strikes. He ends up loading the bases on walks. Polanco hits a sacrifice fly. And this game is going through, uh, through, uh, going to extra innings. The, uh, Yankees end up scoring two runs in the, uh, in the, uh, 10th inning to go up by two. And the next Yankees pitcher that comes in also can't throw strikes. He gives, he loads the bases with two outs. And Max Kepler hits an absolute rocket to the left center field gap that Aaron Hicks makes a phenomenal catch on to end the game. Maybe, and the Yankees maybe win one it. of the catches of the year. Yeah, it was phenomenal. Given the situation. Yeah, it was phenomenal. And then in game three, it was just an old fashioned slugfest. And the Yankees uh, took out the Twins nine to seven in game three. So in the end, the Yankees took two out of three. But that despite losing two out of three, gave me more confidence in the Twins going forward that they were able to hang with the Yankees in these three games. Um, they then went to uh, the uh, south side of Chicago for four against the White Sox. They took care of business, um, winning three out of four. On Sunday, They, um, if you exclude times where the uh, Twins and Indians play, played each other, Sunday was the first time that the Twins won – on a day that the Indians lost since June 29th. It had been almost a month 
That's how well the Indians had been playing while they were creeping up on the Twins here. The other big piece of Twins news is that they traded for Sergio Romo on Saturday, a relief pitcher from the Marlins. So he has since joined the team, uh, and we will see what happens. I still expect them to make one more major pitching acquisition before the deadline comes up at 3 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday, but we will fill you in more on those trades as we go along. The Cubs also had a big series this week. It was over this weekend with the Brewers, and Wyatt is going to fill you in some more on that. The only thing I really want to talk about that is that flyover happened, and it startled everybody on the field in the top of the eighth. So that happened in the Brewers in the Brewers Cubs series. Wait, also, why did a flyover happen in the eighth? I don't know because why not? It's top that's of the eighth. That's something Batters in the box. Game. It was like a like a two zero pitch, and flyover happened. So surprise. Huh. Was the roof open or closed? I mean, it was open. It huh. was a nice day out because so let's those Milwaukeeans. Let's just blow <laughs> yeah. up that roof. Baseball needs to be played outside. I agree. All right, uh, flyover happens. The Cubs, the Cubs lost the series two to one. They got the last game, which was better than nothing, I suppose. Don't really want to talk about it because it was sad, and it makes me sad. They didn't they get walked off in game two? Yeah, no Magusta. The um, Twins haven't been walked off this year. After getting walked off like eleven times last year, it was insane. Anyway, sorry, I digress. No, it's okay. So that that series was a little shaky. Craig Kimbrell's been a little shaky. He gave up like two homers in one of the games. I, I'm I'm a little spooked for how much money we spent on Craig Kimbrell. He's looking shaky already. I'm not not spooky. not too pumped. A little to spooky. To be fair, there were at times he was pretty shaky last year. With the yeah, right that's side. true. I'm not giving him any crap right now. I'm just saying I'm mildly concerned at the moment. Uh, Ian Happ is back in the Cubs lineup. Uh, he's been down in AAA Iowa basically all season, mostly to work on his offensive skills because they were non-existent, and now they exist. So he's back up in Chicago right now. They sit down Addison Russell. Uh, back down to AAA Iowa this past week as well. Um, he was going to play almost as soon as he got down here, but they ended up striking from the roster just an hour or two before the game. Not as punishment or anything, but because they forgot to deliver his equipment to to the facility. How'd you play if, without that? If they would have like called me up or something, I would have walked. You know, the the ten minute walk I have down to Principal Park and given him like a bat and a glove. Like, would have been fine. So they didn't hit me up on that. So Addison also didn't play. It's kind of sad. We also have Cole Hamels uh, right now pitching for AAA Iowa as well. I expect him to be back up in Chicago here soon, as does other people who know more about baseball than I do. Um, he's been out with, uh, I think, left oblique injury for a bit now. It's going to be nice to have him back because the Cubs are on like a four-man rotation at the moment with uh, Darvish, Quintana, Kyle Hendricks, and John Lester for starters. It'll be nice to get Cole Hamels back up there here soon, especially with Darvish and Quintana with a relatively high ERA. Makes me very uncomfy when they're out there like a 4.5 average between the two of them. Um, What's happened to Darvish and Quintana in the past couple of years? Dude, I don't even know, and it worries me. But like I said, Cole Hamels will be back here soon. It'll be you okay. signed you, Darvish, for a lot of money. I know. Time. Yeah, and they they gave up a lot for Jose Quintana, and Isn't, he hasn't. Yeah, it seems, it seems more like a short-term benefit than it was a long-term investment I mean, at, yeah, at the you, moment. That could you change. made that trade to win the World Series back when you made the trade. You didn't exactly. make that trade for this year. Yep. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it, it could still pan out. You never know. I'm still hopeful. I'm still hopeful. But that's kind of how the Cubs are doing right now. Um, bringing it a step back a little bit, the NL Central is still a hot mess. So since the, yeah, the Cubs is. since the Cubs did lose the three-game series in Milwaukee 2-1, to one, 
And then the carbs, the cards also swept the Pirates, not the carburetors. The Cardinals swept the Pirates in a four-gamer. Uh, the Cubs and the Cardinals are now tied for first in the NL Central at a 5.33. The Brewers are just one game behind. So the division's really still in all three of these teams' hands. In my opinion, you can kind of count out the Reds and the Pirates. Cincinnati Probably. is seven games behind. And realistically, behind them. you can. You can count them out. Mathematically, you can't yet, but realistically, they are. What's really fun is that the tie between the Cardinals and the Cubs will be decided here at the beginning of this week. Um, actually, tomorrow through Thursday, the Cubs will be playing in St. Louis against the Cardinals for a three-game series down there. We'll kind of see what happens, I suppose. But uh, the, the division's really any three of these teams. is it, it, It's any one of their division. You know, they can just pick it up. So, yeah, that's the Cubs. It's kind of what's going on. I'm what? mildly disheartened. But it's also really exciting. Can somebody tell me what the Mets are doing at the trade deadline? They're, they're buying, buying, despite how far back they're, they're buying Marcus Stroman. What? Why? What are? What are they thinking? Can does anybody? I guess it'll clear up here in the next couple of days when we see what other pieces they might buy and sell here before the trade deadline actually happens. But I'm really confused by what the Mets are doing. Well, so they, well, essentially they got a major upgrade. So they got Marcus Stroman for. I believe a, a, a steal. Um, I figured, and like you had said, Marcus Stroman should have, should have, and probably could have gone for a lot more, um, mm-hmm. than the Mets, uh, had to give up in order to get him. But they traded for Marcus Stroman, who's clearly a better pitcher than Jason Vargas is. They just, uh, dealt Jason Vargas today to the Phillies. Um, but in my opinion, the Mets are, buying for years to come. Marcus Stroman is still will still be under club control um, for next season. So if, in fact, they do end up keeping Jacob deGrom and Noah Syndergaard and don't trade those pieces, they will have three great, not great, fantastic rotation arms um, for their club for next season. Um, I don't think they're going all in for this year. I think they're too far out of the race right now in order to be all in. Um, but I believe that they are looking towards next year and saying next year we have a legitimate chance with the three pitchers, these three pitchers that we have. Um, and maybe they're saying that the next like one or two years is their window of opportunity. They have solid, um, uh, they have solid fielding positions. Um, they lack some, uh, depth in the outfield, but they have a great hitter in Pete Alonso. Um, they have relatively good play at second base and shortstop. Um, and I think that this team could be a good contending team next year with those three key starting pieces if they do in fact keep them. I think the biggest head scratcher would be they uh, trade for Marcus Stroman and then they trade away Noah Syndergaard. Then I yeah. will have absolutely that no wouldn't idea make sense. Doing. I don't know. I don't I think I think they're still going to so try confused. and get rid of Stephen Matz because he has an expiring contract. So whatever yeah. pieces they can get for him um, to a team who's in need of a starting uh, rotation arm, um, mm-hmm. I think that's smart for them to get rid of him. But we'll see. Don't they have Edwin Diaz, who's been reported in trade rumors? Yeah, he's a really good uh, bullpen arm. Yeah, closer, but he hasn't been good this year. But I don't know. They might have been misusing him. 
So the Mets are just confusing. We'll talk more about the Mets later. I want to get upset about something. Can I get upset now? I've been waiting all week to get upset about this. I know this. you have. I talked to you guys about this on Tuesday. That's how I'm still upset about this. So this Twins-Yankees series, there's only one thing that I was upset about, and that is Twins fans, Monday night's game. It's the top of the eighth inning. This is a two-run game. It's against the Yankees. It's late July. This team is in a playoff push. Intense game. Fans should be zoomed in on it. And what happens in the top of the eighth inning? They start doing the wave. Why are you doing the wave? The wave is awful. The wave should be banned. You got to watch the baseball game. I get it if it's a blowout. I mean, if it's a blowout, fine. The wave, whatever. I guess I'd be fine with it. But this is the middle of an intense game. And Luis Ariz is making a great catch at third base to stop a potential Yankees rally. And fans are cheering more because the wave makes it all the way around the stadium. Why are you paying attention to the wave? Watch the baseball game. You were there to watch the baseball game. I didn't pay to go to the baseball game to watch somebody stand up right in front of me as the pitch is being thrown. I want to watch the baseball game. Sit down, watch the baseball game. If it's a blowout, fine. That's an intense game against a good team. One of the best baseball games I have ever seen in person. And they're doing the wave in the eighth inning. It's it's It disgusted me. That's what it did. It's embarrassing. It's disgusting. Do better, Twins fans. Do better. I am so upset about the wave. It's been a week and I'm still upset about this. I love how upset you get about the wave. Oh my god. I, I personally hate it. I hate it with a passion. I personally hope the twins make the postseason and make their wave the signature celebration for anything good that happens. No, I would hate that. I would hate that. I would hate that. I would hate that. I would write a letter to the twins front office about how stupid that oh, is. Oh yeah, they're gonna read your letter. With, I see see I I am I I may be in the minority but it is a strong minority of people who hate the wave. I am not the only person who hates the wave. The internet community, a large chunk of the internet community also hates the wave. Not the only one. Stop like, doing the wave in close games. You're like the far right but with the wave and in baseball instead just of stop, politics. Just stop doing the wave. What Mm, just watch the baseball game. How do you feel about the wave at like in like Hilton or something, though? Is it happening Well, action is happening? Then don't so, do it. Uh, okay, all right, fair enough. If doing, I, a time, doing a timeout, yeah, fine. There's nothing happening on the court. Do those things. That's the time it is to do those things. Between innings, do the wave. That's fine. Don't do it while an inning is happening. I don't know. I think the wave is a good way to engage fans who otherwise wouldn't even be paying attention to the engage game. Engage them in what? They're not paying attention to the game if they're doing the wave. They're watching <laughs> the wave go around the stadium. It's better than being on their phones. I, is it? I don't I know. Like those, yeah. I like those if, phones. If they're on games. their phones, they're not, they're not distracting me from watching the baseball game. So selfish. Everything revolves around Mike. That's why he has so many segments. Including our next segment. I have so many segments because I have a lot to say. Get more to say, and then you can have more segments. Sometimes so what do you have, have to say? To say. What do you have to say about rules today, Mike? Yeah, I have another uh, rule that came up this weekend in the Twins White Sox series that I would uh, want to do inform people about, and that is, has to do with uh, fielders' interference in a rundown. So the Twins had a White Sox runner in a rundown here um, this last. Uh, week and what happened is Jonathan Scope threw the ball back to the first baseman and then attempted to get out of the way and the runner made a wide 
turn around second base, excuse me, and made contact with Jonathan's scalp. So the ruling on the, so the ruling is whenever a runner makes contact with a fielder in a rundown situation like that, that is fielder's interference, and the runner is a um, awarded the next base forward. So in that case, it was between first and second. So the runner was awarded second base. Now you also have the baseline to consider, right? So the rule says that the if the runner makes contact with the fielder, it's uh, fielder's interference unless the runner is out of the baseline. And the baseline there is defined. The runner has three feet, is uh, what the rule says to. Uh, to make their turn and go the other direction. So if the contact happens within three feet of where that turn happened, the, uh, the runner is still considered in the baseline and it's fueled as interference. If it happens outside of three feet, the runner is out of the baseline and the runner is called out. That makes Question. sense for how – yeah, go. When is the baseline established? So on a rundown, the baseline is established, my understanding is, every time he turns and changes direction – the baseline gets reestablished. Is it three feet wide total, or is it three feet on either side of him? Three feet in whatever direction he turned, the, the runner turns in. That's Turn. why Javi had that uber awesome mm-hmm. save about a month ago, uh, like sliding into first, I think he did, because his left foot, when he jumped out of the way, was still within three feet of the baseline, and he didn't touch the ground again until he hit the base. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, there you go. That's your fun... Uh, Fun fielders interference in a rundown scenario that now you know the rules about. Good rule. It's a good uh-huh. rule. I have a lot Since of you're good talking, rules. That's you why I have a just, segment. You should just keep on a roll talking, Mike, and go right into our accountability session for yeah. write that down predictions. Yeah, we had uh, three predictions come off the board this week. Um, our two conflicting predictions that uh, Wyatt and Josh made last week both came off the board, uh, obviously. Um, Wyatt predicted the Cubs would take two out of three from the Brewers, and Josh predicted the Brewers would take two out of three from the Cubs. Josh was correct. Wyatt was incorrect. So Josh gets a ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding. And Wyatt gets a nah. He was incorrect. The third and final prediction that had come off the board this week was mine. I said that the Twins would play a, above 500 against the Yankee or against the teams from New York in the uh, month of July. Um, the Twins went 0-2 against the Mets and 1-2 against the Yankees. And last time I checked, 1 out of 5 was 200, which is below 500. So for that, I get a nah. nah. Um, that is the end of our accountability session. And as we teased on last week's episodes, we are doing – I write that down predictions this week. But it is forced home run predictions for write that down. So all predictions, the predictions that all four of us will make here, are home run predictions. Kyle, what is your forced home run prediction? What do you got for us? The Royals will finish in third place in the AL Central at the end of the MLB season. <laughs> yeah. So they're currently in fourth place in the AL Central. And then they lost today, which puts yep. them a half a game further yep. back behind the White Sox. So they're eight and a half games behind the White Sox right now. Uh, as of this recording, um, their expected win-loss record is actually better than the White Sox because, you know, their run differential is so much better than the White Sox run differential is. But their actual win-loss record is not. And for a bad team to make up eight and a half games on somebody, that's that's a home run. Yeah, it's that just passes, not going to happen. That passes muster. Why, what, what do you, do you got, got, Mike? 
Oh, oh me? Jinx. Yeah, next. Ooh, yeah sure. You can go next. All right. So just to show everybody how not panicking I am about the Twins, just like we talked about last week, my home run prediction is the Twins will win the AL Central by more than 10 games. And that more is home run ten. worthy. Yeah, because yeah. that, I mean, that would be the Twins that's, gaining. That's a really good team gaining eight games over nine. another team who's – nine games over another team like, who's yeah. also playing really well right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right, well, and, right, and for the and as Mike had alluded to earlier, the the Indians have been playing much better recently than the Twins have. So yeah, the Indians are hot. I'm uh, going for gold, and in, in my prediction, I'm just going to say the Cubs are going to win the World Series. Well, it says the Cubs are going to win the World Series. Okay, yeah, that's also home. I mean, their percentage, depending on which website you look at, is between like four and five and a half percent to win the World Series, which definitely is uh, home run worthy territory. So you've now I'd got two, so. two write that down predictions on uh, how the Cubs are going to do. You've got a Cubs to the World Series um, prediction and a yep. Cubs win the World Series prediction. You also have a home run on the Cubs to the World Series because you made that prediction when they were like three games behind the Brewers. Yep. So, yeah, you've got two Cubs World Series predictions on the board now. So that we'll see how that pans out for you. I would be amazed if we could win the NL Central. So big, we'll see. Big race there. That's going to be a fun race to watch come the end of the end of the season. Yeah, For sure. Will we, will we, we, we uh, need a game 163? We'll see. We're a long way away from that. I can. Get, would you like the percentage? Somebody give Josh predict Josh's prediction, and I'll come up with the uh, percentage chance that we get a game 163 in the NL Central. You do that. So yeah. we have heard from Josh, and his prediction is that the Green Bay Packers will be top six in points and yards defensively after six games this coming season. Did I okay. say that right? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. points yeah. and yards, six six games. Six, six games. Top six. six. Games, top top six, six after six. six. That's fairly easy to remember. I mean, we'll have to see what their new defensive coordinator can do. I mean, obviously, it's a home run prediction, right? Because their defense okay. has not been good. To be top six in yards and points is very impressive. So not many teams, home. not many teams actually do that. Yeah, that Top. that'd be a very, very good defense and a big recovery. So, and they drafted a lot of young defensive talent. So if that talent can work <laughs> out, who knows? Yeah. Do you also, have, do you have percentages yeah. for us, Mike? Yeah, the odds that there's a two-way tie at top of the NL Central is eight point six percent. So double the almost double the chances that the Cubs win the World Series is that there's a, a two-way tie. And there's a half a percent chance that there's a two-way tie or a three-way tie at the top of the NL Central. All right. So it could happen. That would be fun. The potential is there. That would be fun baseball. Since uh, we have all four write-that-down predictions in the books, all with home runs, because that's just what we did, that signals the end of the write-that-down prediction segment, which means we are at the end of the episode. Thank you for listening to this prime episode, episode 41 of the 8311 cast. We had a pleasure bringing you all things sports to your beautiful ears. Make sure you check us out on Instagram, Twitter, at 8311cast, both of those social media platforms, and our website, 8311cast.fireside.fm slash contact if you want to drop us a line. Signing off for the 8311 cast this week, we have your hosts, Kyle Merck. Mike Ludwig and Wyatt Teeter. We'll talk to you all next week. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones.